podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Dream is over. Yep, hello and welcome for the last time this season to Steve Bloomer's Washing, your independent Derby County podcast. It was one game too far at Wembley and heartbreak for Frank Lampard's young Rams in the championship playoff final. A bad end to what's been a great campaign. I'm Chris, joining me to reflect on Wembley and the 18-19 season for Derby County. It's the hope that kills him. All right, Tom? Hi there. And he's counting down the days to fixture release day. You all right, Richard? Big day. Hello. <laughs> uh, Tom, excited hat. Well and truly back in the wardrobe for the summer now. Uh, unfortunately, it got lost in the midst of celebrating Jack Marriott or Martin Maghorn's goal. And it was never replaced, so we couldn't get an equaliser because of the loss. Make it your number one task to uh, get a new one from the club shop in the summer. So coming up in... Episode 57, we've got the inquest on Wembley, that 2-1 defeat, which means the Rams will stay in the second tier for a 12th consecutive season. Uh, Our shouts for goal and player of the year, the state of the squad for next season, can we go again? And your marks out of 10 for Frank Lampard in his first year as a manager. And just for old time's sake, one last Rams quiz for the road a quick and sharp one before we wrap things up for this podcast uh tom where can everyone find us on social these days yeah get in touch with us on facebook instagram and twitter at steve bloomer pod excellent stuff um i guess we might as well get right into it the playoff final uh the dust has settled now i think it's fair to say we've all recovered we're all mellowed out a bit after that 2-1 defeat tom we thought it would be quite an open contest didn't we with both teams going for it that's what we said that's what the Villa fans that we spoke to said but it's actually actually a game of quite few chances wasn't it there wasn't that much going on really and your dad actually said to us I remember this after about half an hour this game will be settled by a moment of magic or a mistake and unfortunately for Derby that was pretty much what it turned out to be yeah and unfortunately it was the latter as well which is the uh, I guess the second time that we've made a mistake to lose a playoff final and um, yeah I was surprised that um, I was surprised that we didn't go for it uh, and really get into Villa. Uh, we did did have spells of that in the last sort of 20 minutes, but I, don't, I think it was a bit too um, bit too cagey from both sides. I thought actually we shot Villa out reasonably comfortably in the first half. It was just their first shot on target they scored from, I mean, but neither side looked like scoring or, or creating anything. And it was just that uh, that potential mistake, I guess, perhaps from Bogle uh, for the first goal. And then obviously the, the howl off from Roost in the second half, which gave us too much of a mountain to climb. Yeah, I think it was it was cagey. I think that was probably a result of Lampard playing an extra midfielder or extra kind of standard central midfielder with Tom Huddleston in there. I think it probably congested the middle, which probably helped us to a degree defensively to stop Villa playing through us quite as easy as they had done previously in the season. But we definitely lost. It felt like we lost a bit of dynamism ourselves in the middle of the park. For me, we'll come on to the strikers, I guess, in a bit. But for me, the problem wasn't necessarily not starting Marriott and Wag on it. It was because we went to a system which we hadn't really played for quite a while with the extra midfielder. I, I kind of disagree. I thought that uh, I love the fact that Bennett ran his socks off, uh, as he always does. But he puts in a lot of effort, but he's not a focal point. So um, when Marriott and Wag 
uh, Waghorn came on, we then had a focal point up front uh, and it allowed us to retain the ball and get players into position. We are a team full of runners who uh, get in and support the play, like Wilson, Lawrence um, uh, and obviously Mount as well. And without the, the player to hold it up up front, which Bennett was winning a lot of balls and stuff, but without the player to hold it up front, um, we couldn't get those players into the mix. So I, I felt that we really lacked that focal point rather than the change of system. But do you think overall it was a bit of a surprise to see two less attacking midfielders start with Huddleston and Johnson? Do you think we were too negative from the start, Coach? I think it turned out that way. I don't know if that's how Lampard, I don't know if that's how Lampard envisaged it working. I don't think it could have worked as Lampard wanted it to work because it would have been a different outcome if it had but I felt like it did make us a bit more negative it did make us a bit more immobile I think Tom's right we didn't really have a natural focal point to hold the ball up and Huddleston for me I mean I haven't looked into it I'm not sure when he last started the game but he looked I thought he grew into it but he did look rusty like his passing was off for the first 20 minutes he gave the ball away a lot from passes he, he didn't necessarily need to make or it was the kind of passes that you would expect him to make normally and I just felt that that was the that was the risk which didn't pay off the one time that Huddleston actually made a pass I think Jaden Bogle was so surprised the ball went underneath his foot mm-hmm. um, because it was like oh my god Huddleston's done something useful and that was about 20 minutes in and it's it's not necessarily I didn't necessarily think we got the uh, the system wrong because we talked about the real dangers of being Grealish and Hurahan uh, and McGinn McGinn for my point is uh, was man the match on Monday but I thought Hooverham was quiet I thought Grealish was quiet and I thought the system shut that out quite nicely um, you can't help the fact that a player like McGinn has a, a man of the match sort of a performance but I do think we kept the uh, other two sort of danger men we identified quiet and I think that's testament to what Lampard was trying to do uh, and we did effectively at the end of the day you can argue it came down to two mistakes and I thought uh, Tamori and Keo marshaled Tammy Abraham pretty well as well, to be honest. I mean, he did he did get the ball in a couple of dangerous positions. I think he got a shot off from the left-hand side of the box in the first half. But I thought in general... He Abraham kept... didn't really do a huge amount, did he? I think I spoke to a Villa fan afterwards who said that Abraham was um, had been carrying a bit of a knock towards the end of the season. But even so, he still banged in 25, um, yeah. scored against us in the, uh, in the game at Villa Park. And yeah, I thought there were a couple of moments when he had a bit of a glimpse in front of him, but uh, tomorrow he shut him down pretty quickly. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because I think I could probably praise the Derby defending as a unit for Monday in the way that we didn't give Villa that many chances, but I could then criticise the attacking outlet uh, that we had until the last 20 minutes. But at the end of the day, it's come down to some individual errors and some, some, some basics, which has been the problem all the way through the season. That first goal, sort of, you, you said before we recorded, Coach, almost a classic goal for Derby to concede this season. Um, someone switching off from across and in the end it actually goes in off El Ghazi's shoulder but it's um, it was Bogle who's, had, who's such a shame because he has such a good season he's been phenomenal after Christmas but he just loses his man for a split second El Ghazi gets cold side of him and that's um, that's all it needed I think the reason I thought it was a classic goal for us to concede reflecting on the whole season was not just the fact it was a cross into the box which we didn't deal with properly but also we didn't really we, we stopped the counter-attack but we never looked in control of, of defending that situation like they got down the right-hand side quite quickly from the middle of the park and then pulled it back and then got the ball in Bit um, of a clumsy moment from Johnson in the build-up as well isn't there when he tries to go through midfielder yeah, tries and- to get take the ball misses and leaves us on the back foot facing up a counter-attack and it, not, it might not have made a difference but I also think Tamori and Cole you know Tamori went out Cole went middle it didn't cost us but could Cole have, could Cole have closed down the, the, the cross better than Tamori possibly but that's a decision they made in a split second I don't think it was necessarily a bad decision but we just didn't look quite organised it looked like we got a bit caught out didn't deal with it and then crucially as we mentioned 
Bogle just gets beaten to it at, at the far post. And you know what? It happens. The best fullbacks in the world get caught out every now and then. It yeah. happens. Yeah, I can see that. And I think my issue throughout the season with Tomori has been that he's a, he's obviously a good centre-back. He's learning his trade, but he's, he's a reactive player. So he sees an issue. He's like, right, I'm going to go and solve it. Run, runs over there and tries to deal with it. And sometimes he needs to learn... When is the good time just to sit off and let someone else deal with that situation? If you watch some of the best centre backs in the world, they will order other people to do things. And Tamori is, is 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 very young; he's still learning. But he charged over there because he thought he was in the best position to try and win the ball. Now, if he drops off and Cole goes and shuts it down, I think the cross still comes in. We've then got two centre backs in the box in the central areas rather than one centre back out at left back and the other centre back trying to cover two positions. Then Bogle maybe doesn't need to get as narrow as he does, and that's a sort of that's a real sort of technical sort of defensive unit issue rather than necessarily picking out on the individual I think, it's a I think he gets thing. that from Keogh you know because I think Keogh is quite similar in that regard I think Keogh can be quite reactive yeah. a lot of the time and you're totally right some of the best defenders don't always do that much actual tackling yeah. do they They uh, it's all about picking your moments to to, to intercept it but anyway well, uh, yeah, that's no, why they're best in the world Chris though isn't it exactly yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll talk a bit later on about Tamori because maybe we haven't seen the last of him in a uh, in a derby shirt but yeah in it in at half time 1-0 down just keep it tight for the first 15 but Kellaroos what can you say well we it's, said it it's, we it's said... an absolute it's an absolute howler isn't it it's horrendous I think <laughs> I think we said it a few times in, in the last six months of the season like when Keller got the number one jersey I don't think any of us could really disagree with a decision because he hadn't let us down but we said a number of times and we're not the only ones other fans have said it on Twitter as well but he looks like he's got a mistake in him and I just kept thinking it's going to cost us at some point I thought it might have come in, in the playoff semi-finals it didn't he had a great I thought he played well in both semi-finals he he's did very- have a mistake in the away leg which almost cost us he dropped an absolute clangor which I think yeah. then we scrambled around the box we got away with it yeah. so yeah, yeah sorry to interrupt there coach I, I do agree and that's, that's I, I feel for a kid though I think I think he's, he's an, he is a classic goalkeeper in the sense that he is mental like we were, at, um, I was with uh, Tom's dad and brother at, at um, Brentford away this season, and he, we, the Derby fans were behind them before the game. And before the game even started, he comes into the back of the goal and he stands in the goal. He's giving it all back to the fans. I absolutely loved it. But also, part of me thought this guy is he's like a Joe Hart character. You no, know, Joe Hart kind of yeah. has been criticised for like getting himself too pumped up and too aggressive before games. Wears his heart in his sleeve a bit too much. Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes it works for you and. Like when that time when we went to a home game and he came flying out his goal right to the touchline and yeah, he got the ball. But my point was that was a bad decision. He didn't need to come and do that. He didn't need to take that risk. And that moment, all he has to do is put his hands in the air. You know, he's six foot five yeah. and he just goes with his arms low. He, he must not see him again coming. He's too confident. From what I could, from what I could tell, I mean, in Ruse's defence, um, is it El Ghazi who, who has the initial shot and it, he, he drives it low and it does take a massive deflection. It loops up into the air off Keogh. So it's quite, the flight of the ball isn't that easy to read. But, but at the same time, it's basically regulation, isn't it? All he's got to do, just clean McGinn out because the referee's never going to give that in in McGinn's favour. He's never going to give a pen for that. You, you can't legislate for that goalkeeping. Like, Roos is six foot five, McGinn is five foot seven. Get, five your, get your knee up. Like there's there's no way he should be he should be being beaten in the air by yeah, just, cla- just clatter him. Yeah. Hey, look, I mean, punch, punch it away. I don't you, mind. Don't, you don't need right. to clatter him. You just gotta put your hands in the air. Yeah. He's taller than him and he, he and he's jumping and he can put his hands in the air. He, his knee should be coming up to McGinn's head. It, it we were obviously the other end of the pitch and 
the ball went up in the air and I saw it bounce towards the goal. I remember you shouting, Chris, like, foul, it's got to be a foul. And I was like, I don't think he's touched him. Just the way he, I haven't seen it back. I can't, I can't bring myself to watch these highlights because it's just like, it's, there's no point in it. It's, it's dumb. But um, I could see that he goes up to sort of catch it like a, almost like a scoop. Uh, and I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, as a key for myself, you come up and you use all the advantages you've got and that's being able to use your hands. So if you, you're scooping a catch, it's below your head. So someone can come in and head it away. So you've got to have your hands up there Punch and again, looked like he didn't even know that much about it himself. Really, <laughs> probably, probably he, he just sort of regulation challenge. You puts know, his yeah. head in. He, he just puts his head in there, and it yeah. literally bounces off him, pretty much. And yeah. and I do think I feel thought, feel for him though, because he, he looked devastated after the game. You can tell he looked absolutely devoted. Yeah. And yeah, I hope the club get around him. I'd love. I'd like. We'll come on to contracts later. I'd like to see him extended contract. I wouldn't have him as number one next season. Um, but I, I hope the club gets around him and I hope, he's, I hope he is part of that great team that great team because I think he's a good lad I just went into that day and I've thought about it a lot since thinking that I'm honestly okay of us not going up and not winning if Villa play well and we leave everything, everything out there but there were so few chances in the game and they have won the game through a keeper mistake you can say what deserve- you want about the overall performance and Villa having, having Villa deserving it but in a game of few chances, Villa took theirs because we gave it to them. And that's uh, that's going to stay with us for a long time. Yeah, it's the same as... It's not the same, sorry, as 2014, but it is in a way the fact that we've given it to a side through, through a mistake. Um, but I think on I think on Monday, it was, it was the frustrating thing was that there were a few opportunities for both sides. I thought a draw probably was fair, Villa perhaps sh- shading it. And it's we had enough time to get back into the game. We had the chances and the half chances here and there to... To, to create things and I thought there was one time when the ball went through the middle I think it was Mount into Wilson and Wilson could have given it wide to Bogle first time and we had two or three players at the back post I think Marriott Waghorn steaming in and Wilson decided to cut inside and try and shoot with his left foot and I thought I thought Wilson was really poor on Monday and I thought he was uh, to blame for a lot of things that went wrong when we were going forward apart from one pass in the first half um, I was really disappointed with him he didn't step up at all Do you think there was a couple of moments coach when you know, you get into those promising positions and players just see their name up in lights and they, they may be getting tunnel vision and go for glory in a, in, in a game of such magnitude. I think... Because I think it are. wasn't just Wilson when he did that. Like, Bogle also had that half chance oh, yeah. when he... All he had to do was sort of drill it low across across the face and, he, back. and he, he, went two, for, he went for the near post instead. I think, I think Waghorn and Marriott were both on a six-yard box. He could have just pulled it back. Um, I, I think that might be a bit harsh. I think I don't think they necessarily see their name up on lights. I think it's a big occasion. It's a very young team. All those players we mentioned there are young players, um, and their decision making hasn't always been great all season. Like that isn't the first time that Wilson or Lawrence or Bogle has made wrong decisions, um, and it and it will happen again. I, I don't I don't think they saw it as their moment or anything like that. I think they probably just confident lads and they bat themselves in certain positions, and and a lot of the season it's worked for them. A weird one selection wise, Tom that huge talking point beforehand was no Jack Marriott again despite him scoring a brace in the second leg no Waghorn although he was still coming back from an injury why didn't they start for you do you think Marriott's admission was a big gamble that didn't pay off or just plain and simple a mistake by Lampard it's really tough to know isn't it because it's tough to understand how uh, match fit he is and that's obviously talked about a lot and we're, well, he's what match fit enough mean. to score a brace in the, in the second leg yeah but can, can he can he play for 90 minutes is the question and like you know you've got Waghorn who's come back from an injury what do you do do you try and contain for the first 20 minutes and I thought we did that uh, and then unleash them and, and for me I think the biggest mistake was not necessarily not playing them but taking 15 minutes until they went 2-0 up 
to bring him on. I'd have brought him on after five or ten minutes um, of that second half, or even at half time, because I thought it wasn't working creatively going forward, um, and we need to change it. We looked like we had the measure of Villa. Uh, we'd already gone one nil down, so the plan had understood his plan, but the plan hadn't worked. I'd have changed it at half time, or perhaps just uh, just after half time. Going, doing it two 0 was too late, and that was the mistake for me. I can I can get why he did it and what uh, Lampard did with the team selection and with the shape. It didn't work because that's sometimes the way that things happen. They sometimes don't work. I think he made a mistake not bringing them on earlier. I think the first thing to say is there's no point in discussing the Waghorn thing because he's just come back from an injury. Like he's tr- they tried to get him fit for the semi-finals and he broke down. So I completely understand not starting him. So you, the people, the argument that people have put out saying he should have started Waghorn and Marriott is absolute rubbish because Waghorn was never going to start that game. Marriott's a different case. As, as, as you both said, Marriott played 45 minutes against Leeds and he finished very strongly and scored a great goal. So the suggestion is he can play at least 45 minutes. My my guess is that Lampard's gamble was to win the game in the last half an hour. And obviously when the second goal goes in, that whole plan goes out the window. But I agree with Tom. It wasn't working going forward in the first half. We weren't creating anything. And actually, even if he'd brought Marriott on at half time, he still had options because he could have brought Marriott on for Huddleston or he could have brought and gone gone to the diamond that we played against Leeds and Tom Lawrence could have dropped back into the number 10 position. Or he could have brought Marriott on for one of Tom Lawrence or Bennett and kept the same system but with a bit more of a focal point and, and goal threat. I just think he, he did take too long to bring him on. And it changed when they both came on. I mean, we looked a completely different team. But Villa also were naturally going to be more negative and naturally going to be more conservative because they had a two-goal lead. Tom, if you are Jack Marriott over the summer, uh, Lampard came out with some really interesting comments after the game. Um, I haven't got the exact wording in front of me, but the gist of it is um, we knew that his freshness could hurt them but um, he then went on to say that Jack Marriott can go away over the summer and try and realise the player that he could become he's just not letting this fitness thing go is he if you're Jack Marriott do you think to yourself yeah he's got a fair point there Um, I'm not doing enough to to last a whole 90 minutes or do you think well I've scored twice in the semi and once in the final like what does he know And, and do you look do you look elsewhere where do you think your head is at if you're Jack Marriott right now I'd be frustrated, really frustrated, because clearly I, I've shown that I'm doing it on the pitch or I can do it on the pitch. Uh, I'd be frustrated myself, though, because I haven't done it consistently. I didn't, he didn't score for, what, 17 games between, I think, January and, and the goals against Leeds. So, well, you, you did have an injury spell out during that time as yeah, well. Yeah, well, he still appeared, I think it was in 17... Either way, he didn't score for, for a long time. I know he was out injured. Um, but my point is, I think, frustration for both sides. He he wants to be in that team and he knows he can be in that team. I think he's still got to prove it. I said way back in August that he could be a fan's favourite. He ran around and everyone seems to love him and I can totally get that and I do as well. Um, but I just would love to see uh, Jack Marriott from October, November through September to March at least. He's, just, he's never looked lazy or, or like he's not putting in a shift to me. Um, are we? Is, is, you can only assume Lampard's seeing something that we're not, or, or, or the statistics on the training ground show something. But he's not working hard enough, or we can't, or maybe what we don't notice is you know, how many times has he completely ninety minutes for us this season, and how does his energy levels last in the last twenty minutes of matches? We don't have that data. I'm sure we can go and find it. For me, I think people are making a much bigger deal out of this than there is. I don't think there's a huge problem here. I think. It's not personal because if it was personal, Lampard wouldn't be playing him at all. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't have had a chance in the semi-finals. He wouldn't have been slowly brought back into the team over the last month of the season. So it's not a personal thing. I think 
Lampard obviously rates him as a player. Lampard's obviously extremely frustrated at something, whether it's his work rate in training or his general fitness overall in matches and in training. So if I'm Jack Marriott and that's what's been happening and I want to be a good footballer, then I'm going to listen to Frank Lampard and my manager and I am going to go away over the summer and get fit. Now, if he doesn't do that, then that's on him. I'm sorry, but for me, Lampard's within his right completely to not start him if he doesn't think he's fit enough in 90 minutes. Much better to bring him on. The mistake he made was not bringing him on, but Marriott, if Marriott's attitude, and we don't know this, this is just conjecture from us, if Marriott's attitude was to be, oh, I'm really annoyed at Lampard because he didn't play me enough and he's saying I'm unfit and I actually am fit and I'm going to leave the club as a result of it, then he's got a bad attitude. But I don't, I don't think that is the case. I oh think yeah, I'm, I'm totally like, you know, jumping to conclusions there. I'm just saying hypothetically what, what could happen if this yeah. escalates. Um, but I, don't, I can't see how it escalates. I don't, I don't think it's at the point where Jack's not said a bad thing about Frank Lampard. He's not made any comments from, that I've seen about him being, feel he's being unfairly treated or anything like that. If, if, he's, if he's not fit enough to start games, he's not fit enough to start games. Hopefully he's doing laps of Mark Eaton Park right now with a fridge on his back or something. How, how good would that front two be next year? I no. thought they were quality in the last 20 minutes. They they almost turned the game around for us and I thought Waghorn and Marriott are, are a real exciting prospect and that's, those two and Bogle are what I'm looking forward to next year. I tried to, looking back on, on the game as a whole and the season, uh, I did try to keep my emotions in check, we all did beforehand, and tell myself that it was a transitional season. We did well to get there in the first place. Um, it is Lampard's first season. Whatever happens, happens. It's a free hit. But it doesn't change the fact that when you're chasing the game and then suddenly the full-time whistle goes and you see the other half of the stadium just go completely nuts, it's like it's just the worst feeling imaginable, isn't it? doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It is, but it wasn't as bad as QPR. I mean, it just wasn't as bad. Maybe because we're all five years older. I don't know, but... Don't know, was, there were some emotional times in there, I think, from from all of us and people around us too. It wasn't as bad. but You it, had to comfort a small child. I did, yeah. That sounds dodgy, Chris. <laughs> it's actually a nice thing I did. I gave him the talk of life. It was. You did give him a good pep talk. Um, <laughs> it was... I also just... I just felt really proud of the team. I felt really proud of the club. And that was where my emotion was at, really. It was more about... I was quite happy to hang around and, and give them a, a round of applause. And most, a lot of Derby County fans did. And Lampard went around the whole Derby section clapping and the players seemed distraught. But they also, for me, it, it was emotional, but I wasn't crestfallen to the degree that I was in 2015. Yeah, I came 14. home and watched uh, Chernobyl on uh, Now TV <laughs> just to cheer me up. <laughs> it's pretty decent, to be fair. It is really good, yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> Lampard took Derby then to within one game of the Premier League in his first season as a manager. So he's already equaled everything that McLaren... Well, he's already equaled or bettered everything that McLaren, Clement, Pearson, Rowett, Clough all did. And he only celebrated his one-year anniversary last week. Um, so how did you rate his first 12 months in charge? We asked you guys on, face- on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter what you would give Lampard out of 10 in his first year had loads of responses more responses to this than any other question I've asked this season um, sorry we can't read them all out and sorry we can't read some of them in their entirety but uh, Joel Klein said 8.5 gave me memories that will last a lifetime but ultimately fell just short made errors along the way but seemed to learn from them 
Alex Taylor, uh, 9 out of 10, built a mentality in the squad that helped us win games we never would have done in years gone by. Steve Dolman gave it a 9. The season I fell in love with football again built up a great rapport with team and supporters. Not uh, universally positive. I think the lowest mark I had was a a 6.5 slash 7, but we had a uh, 7 here from uh, at Maybot8000 on Twitter. Uh, Good, but not great. The team has been entertaining, but inconsistent. It's not Wembley that marks him down. It's Blackburn away, Ipswich away, etc. But he did go on to say, uh, high hopes the upward momentum will continue. To be fair to the Maybot, nothing has changed, has it? Because we are still in in the championship. (laughs) <laughs> true who, um, who, who knows moving on to Facebook uh, Jason Ives gave it 9 out of 10 uh, great style of football brought the team closer together handled the press and people around the club well during the February wobble uh, Matthew Barker this is a good one gave Frank an 8 out of 10 he said when we succumb to Fulham so easily in the playoffs and with Rowett sniffing out a payday and with an ageing squad of players I would have been happy to avoid relegation at the start of the season but in steps Super Frank with his legendary status and enthusiasm, giving youngsters their chance, instilling a never-say-die attitude, and gave us a great season of incredible highs. And there was another seven on Instagram from Ian Max, who said tactics were exploited by more experienced managers and still couldn't break break teams down consistently. And just lastly, uh, Chris Scoble on Instagram gave Frank an eight. He said he's brought real enthusiasm to the team, and it's clear he has a real passion for Derby. There's always room for improvement, but as a managerial debut... He should be proud of what he and the team have achieved. So both of you then, 57 games for Frank in total this season. 26 wins, 15 draws, 16 defeats. What's your mark out of 10, Tom? I'd probably go 8 out of 10. I think there's been a lot of good things. I agree with a lot of what's been said there. Um, But I also agree with the last point about the fact that we've been been done in by a few teams this season, um, which have been frustrating. I think the Leeds is an example twice in the league games. I know obviously for 46 minutes we uh, we actually had it over them, which was great. But then also the Blackburn and the Ipswich, they've been frustrating. But lots of really positive, good memories that we'll come to in the second half. I, I would say 8 as well actually um, I was thinking could I give it a 7.5 or an 8.5 I think 8.5 is too high I think we should be getting in or challenging for the playoffs at least and Frank did that I think where he overachieved is in the actual playoff campaign itself I think he overachieved against Leeds and we came up against a very good Villa team so I'd give him an 8 but there's definitely room for improvement but as we said it's a managerial debut so he's obviously going to get better hopefully at Derby I'm going to give it a hat-trick of 8 as well because uh, there's nothing I can really add there so uh, that hasn't been said already so I won't bother <laughs> so, uh, Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered and has been partnered for the whole of this season with Derby Brewing Company the family run micropub operator with three venues across the city more to come in a second Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido Hi, I'm Curtis Davis and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing So in say five years time or whatever when we look back on 1819. What do you think you remember it for? I remember it for the last time Derby in the playoffs of gearing up for Wembley again. <laughs> History repeating itself once more. <laughs> I think a hell, of a, a hell of a lot of goals. A hell of a lot of excellent goals. The usual frustrations. But generally, just a really fun, really fun season. Speaking of goals, goal of the season time. I'll go first. As I did the top three, actually. I put a lot of thought into this. Uh, my third one was Wilson v Swansea. I was there at that game. Great strike out of nothing. 
My second one was Wilson v Man United. Can you guess what my number one was? Interestingly, not because uh, I thought it might have been the Wilson. I went Bennett, I went Bennett v Wigan. I've just never, I've just never seen a goal like it. Club man, mm. yeah, sticking to the club line. It's co- coincidence that the club also voted a goal of the season. I just think like he probably couldn't do it again if he tried, and it went deservedly viral. It was just nuts. Just a really fun goal, wasn't it? And just I, lo- I loved it. I was going to say Kutchie can go next, but I'm going to butt in and say I agree with you, Chris. That was my goal of the season too. Yeah. Not just because of the the ridiculousness, freaky nature of the goal, whether he meant to do it or not, which we've talked about, but actually the 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 change in the season. We were struggling at that point. We we lost to Millwall, we'd lost to Forest, we'd had very few chances created, um, and we scored a goal like that out of nothing. And then Mount came back and scored hat tricks, and things that suddenly started to pick up again for us. I think the not only was it a great goal. It, it was, was what the goal represented and what it yeah at that stage that, in the season. That's why I went went for it myself. I also uh, note to the uh, first day of the season, Mason Bennett down the wing, Tommy Lawrence rising like a salmon. <laughs> Never seen anything like it. You're only saying that because we were there right behind it, and my shins like bled for like weeks. Afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great header. It's a it great header. Great. It's a great goal all round. That goal, the Tom Lawrence goal. It's not my not my number one. I love seeing Wilson score free kicks, and I saw so many of his free kicks live. Um, I've actually lost count of them and I was right behind them both at Sheffield United and Stoke. Unfortunately, they happened in, in defeats. This is a bit out there. It is another Harry Wilson one. I think the main United goal is the best technical goal this season. But my favourite goal of the season would be the Harry Wilson counter-attack goal from the Brentford corner in the home game. Interesting. Going for a tap-in for goal of the season. Big yeah, shout. It's a team move, Chris. Not just every, it's everything before the tapping. It's everything that went into that tapping. It's the recipe and ingredients of that tapping, which makes it so excellent. And I think that really showed off at that time the potential of that the young team that we had, uh, particularly the connection between Mount and Wilson. And I really want to give a shout out to Mount because he scored some excellent goals this season, particularly in the running. But he just makes it look so easy, doesn't he? It was back to front in about eight seconds and six touches or something daft, wasn't it? it was, yeah, uh... and from their corner. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was a great goal. Another goal I also enjoyed was the uh, the Wilson strike into the bottom corner at West Brom. The little touch off from Marriott and the turn and spin from Wilson. I thought that was a great, great goal. We could get very deep down a rabbit hole of uh, obscure Derby County goals this season if we, <laughs> if we don't pull away from this. So let's um, let's move on to player of the season, and this is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because some players at Derby had started started really well. And then fizzled out a bit after Christmas. Some didn't start so well and then finished the season really strongly. For me, again, I've got a three. Third was Wilson for me, mainly because of the goals. But you didn't win it for me because some were penalties, um, which I know you have to have bottle to tuck away. And he did. Um, there were times when he didn't do as much as you would hope from open play. But it's been great to watch him. He's going to have a huge future in the game and it genuinely cut me up when the three of them said their goodbyes over the course of the last week second for me was Tamori we talked so much about him about how he did have a bit of a wobbly start didn't we and he just seemed to lack a bit of confidence made a few mistakes wasn't great in the air but the way he finished the season he has he has so much confidence when he's got the ball by the time we were in the playoffs and his development I've never seen a player improve as much in one season as he has and I know this is out there because he hasn't played as many games as others but my player of the season is Mount oh yeah I was going to say same thing I'm completely on me I think Mount's by far the best player in that team I think he only only played 44 times this season in Derby's 57 games but you saw how much we missed him in the games that he didn't play and I think 
a lot of people around the club made these decisions with half a dozen games to go, um, which is completely fine. But I think, in the, in particularly in the away leg, Mount absolutely ran the show. He was absolutely phenomenal. He was great. I thought he was very good in the final as well. And you look at the goals that he scored. I watched that video at the club out recently of every goal that Derby scored this season. And his involvement in them, even if it's not a direct assist or a goal, like the way you know the way he gets moved moving and how dynamic he is now he comes to life around the box. He's a brilliant player. And I know we've said ourselves, Tom, that of the three of them, you think that, that Mount's got the brightest future, don't you? I, I think Mount is... At, he's my player of the season as well, for what it's worth. But I think Mount has got absolutely everything. Um, if he doesn't play for England in the next few years, I, I'd be really amazed. He's... Um, I was amazed at how good Will Hughes was uh, when Hughes was on his game, but I think Mount's better. He's got awareness, he's got drive, he's got that edge to his game where he's not afraid to shirk something if someone like goes in hard on him. Um, he's he just seems like an all-round nice character as well, like for great mentality. And yeah, I'd really hope that he gets a f- fantastic loan move or he gets some first-team football at a really good club next year. I wish it was Derby, but. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really going to follow his career and I can see him being a top player for England in the future. I think it's interesting you mentioned, mentioned Hughes because that's exactly what I think of. Hughes, because Will Hughes was such a natural footballer, I always knew that when he did get his chance in the Premier League, and it took a little bit of time to come at Watford, he would take to it naturally. And he has like what I think is really impressive about Hughes is that people haven't really been talking about him because he's just a really, really excellent Premier League player. And I think it's surprising that he hasn't had a call-up. But you're right about Mount. He's another level above Hughes already. I think the main difference is the goals. You know, Hughes has never been a 15-goal, even a 10-goal, a season midfielder. Mount Mount probably scored as many in one season as Hughes did in, like, three. Yeah, and I just think Mount's very natural. And you mentioned his character. Mount's really sums up and represents this new generation of footballer in England which they are a lot more down to earth they do seem like they're looked after by clubs a lot more they seem like more rounded characters they're not just all about football and Mount seems like from what we've seen from social media and from interviews he just seems like a a really really good lad that just loves playing football and that's all he cares about and I think I don't think he'll get a chance at Chelsea next season if he stays at Chelsea but I do think if he went to a Watford or a Bournemouth or kind of mid to upper a Premier League team I think he'd fit in naturally and be an excellent signing for anyone Mount's also got the added advantage where he seems very grounded and I think that comes from his sort of support network you often see uh, his dad on on social media sort of supporting him and being there and sort of helping deflect anything that might come and I think that's that's really important for a young player uh, and I really wish him well in the future just in terms of what I was going to say with the player of the year stuff, I think we could divide it up into subsections of like early season, Mount was quality, then uh, <clears throat> then Marriott stepped up for a month, had a really good good spell, then Wilson carried that team through December and November, uh, then Tamori really came came of age through the later part. And, Martin Waghorn. Yeah, Waghorn had a good spell as well. Like there, There's not really been a player who's been outstanding throughout the season, and I think that's why Mount gets it, because he has been outstanding at times, and 44 games in 57 is a lot. It's a vast majority, so yeah, Mount for me as well. I think on the defence, Tamori's definitely most improved player of the season. I don't agree that he's player of the season. Keogh has to get a mention because I think it's been one of his best seasons for Derby County and he's held that team together a lot of times and he's obviously led a really, really young team. I think we're kind of sport for choice and really, really good performances. I think for Mount, where Mount was let down and one of Frank Lampard's major mistakes this season was overplaying him in the January, February period, which um, in the January period, which led to that injury. 
and I and Mount was showing signs of tiring and, and having a long championship season, his first championship season. I did have a did have an impact on him over winter, and I think if Lampard had just taken him out, just even for that cup game or for a couple of league games, he would have avoided that injury, and maybe we would have seen Mount's return to form a bit earlier in the season. So the squad as a whole, those three lone players have all gone back, although rumblings that Tamori might be coming back again for a second season on loan that'd be great wouldn't it but without those three we're looking amazingly thin on the ground actually when you take the out of contract players out of it as well it's just a ridiculous feast to famine situation isn't it if you remember this time last season when we had a squad of about 68 first team players and now Lampard said that we can't he's been on, on record saying we can't compete with a squad of 13 so of those players who are out of contract this summer there was 11, but I think there's now 10 because Pierce has agreed to sign for Millwall permanently. Bryson, Butterfield, Johnson, Roos, Olsen, Nugent, Blackman, Elsnick, Cole and Ambrose. Coach, would you renew any of those? I would renew Roos um, unless, they, unless they've got another goalkeeper lined up. Obviously, we've got Carson for another year. So if we're keeping Carson and we've got another goalkeeper in mind to be a number one, then you can lose Roos. I would like to see him stay to be a, a second choice, depending on whether it's Carson or someone else. And of the others, I'd be interested to see if Cole would stay for another year. But um, I think Bradley Johnson, depending on the transfer activity, I think of all the midfielders there, obviously Butterfield's definitely going to go. I'd, as much as I love Craig Bryson, I think Bradley Johnson would be more useful next season than Craig Bryson. So possibly Johnson, because otherwise we've got a lot of work to do. Tom, uh, Nick Blackman, David Nugent, fire leading the line, opening day next season? Yeah, uh, in behind Butterfield with Olsen at centre-back alongside Keogh, please. <laughs> I think that's a quality side. Would you um, keep any of those? Uh, short answer would be no. Roos, I think, isn't good enough for number one. Uh, so I'd like to see Carson reinstalled um, as number one for next season. I can't imagine Carson sitting on the bench for number two. He's got a few more years left of his career. He doesn't want to sit there. Um, so I'd like to keep him because I think he's quality. Nugent passed it, Blackman, not, no. I'd like to see maybe Cole as a backroom staff. Um, and I think Elsnick was quite highly rated, so I wouldn't be surprised if he did get offered something, but there hasn't been too much of a chat about him in this season. Uh, so I presume he's on the way out as well. So short answer is no. Um, maybe Cole on a backroom staff. And it depends really on what we've got lined up because I agree Johnson over Bryson. And recruitment-wise... I'm sure Frank's got his targets already. Uh, Graham Shinney's been recruited before the end of the season. Have you, have either of you, got any particular names out there that you know you think we should be bringing through? Whether it's like loan starlets from other clubs uh, or young prospects. I mean, who for you is the next Jaden Bogle or Mason Mount? I mean, I think it's a relatively obvious one. I think we're not the only club that are interested, but Matthew Clark. Uh, Portsmouth central defender in team of the season uh, in the league one I think he's played 150 games now for Pompey and he's only 22 years old uh, very highly rated and I think we will need to bring in another centre back uh, if we don't get to Maury and he's young I think we need to bring the, in a young centre back that we own rather than just another loan yeah no I'd agree I also had Matthew Clark he was player of the year last year might, um, might be too expensive though what, what's his what's his situation is he out of contract or? no no he'll he'll cost but obviously Portsmouth didn't go up this season um they've been up and around there in the top sort of top uh half of the champ sorry top half of league one all season um and he's been excellent for them this season so maybe he's ready for that step up is centre-back the area where you think we most need to concentrate on strengthening then it depends you've got Keogh and Curtis Davis and I think Curtis Davis has got another season in him uh, Keo's absolutely fine. He should definitely be at the centre of that defence again because you, you can't 
yeah, to buy a player of Keogh's experience and ability would cost us five million plus. That much? Absolutely, I think so. And uh, I think for me, the priority is, is is the creative midfield. We lost Harry Wilson and Mason Mount. Dwayne Holmes hopefully will step up next season, but there's a big creative lack now. Going from a team which has got a hell of a lot of it right now with, with Mason Mount and Harry Wilson in there, providing 30 goals and however many assists between them um, and the rest. Um, that's, for me, where you're going to have to find something really interesting and exciting. Just stepping back slightly, I think the Tomori conversation is interesting. He's the only one I could realistically see being at Derby again next year. Um, I do think Tomori's great, but I don't think he's at a top level or ever potentially will be a, a top level player and by that I mean sort of top six Premier League side so I could see him being at Derby next year um, obviously Gary Cahill's out of contract at Chelsea uh, also notice that Raul Albantos is available <laughs> if uh, on a free transfer if anyone's got um, I don't know is it helicopter we can quickly fly over there and yeah it was in. helicopter last time um, don't I've, forget don't forget the insoles <laughs> oh gosh um, yeah I agree with Kutch with the centre midfield thing I've been quite impressed with Herbie Kane this year he's uh, been at Doncaster I think he's called four or five goals this season in sort of 38 appearances he's on loan from Liverpool great name as um, well yeah Herbie Kane cracking then he creates things he's quite small like low centre of gravity uh, gets stuck in as well so it's a bit of a he's not a mount in a sort of creative sense but he does great and score the odd thing from midfield uh, lots I of think it, he's, lots, hopefully lots of car related puns yeah. on, his, on his name as well <laughs> one for the younger listeners there that's the playing side of it taken care of then but the one other big talking point is it's all irrelevant really if Frank himself isn't even here at the start of next season. We'll have to see what happens with this because we're recording this a few days after the playoff final. There are a few moving parts. As we all know, this could be out of date in a few days. Things might change. Or what we all hope will happen is that the club makes some sort of commitment to Frank. Either way, the situation is resolved and he stays. But uh, Sarri has reportedly told Chelsea as of last night, so as of a few days after the final, that he wants to leave Chelsea, meaning that those Lampard rumours are likely to rumble on for a while yet. A lot of the talk also saying that uh, Maxi Allegri is in the running to take over as Chelsea boss. He left left Juventus in the summer after five years, having won Serie A every single one of those five years. And most Chelsea fans with a bit of common sense saying that he will be a far more astute appointment than a club legend who's only been a manager for 12 months I think Chelsea will go for Allegri uh, Abramovich and Chelsea have a track record of Italian managers I think not including Claudio Ranieri I think they've had four Italian managers under Abramovich maybe even five um, so he's got a track record there he does like Italians and Allegri is available for free right he's out of, he's been let go by Juventus which was bizarre in my opinion and they are after Sarri which is also bizarre I think Chelsea will not come in for Lampard as first choice but I can see if Allegri turns down the Chelsea job for whatever reason whether it's to do with the transfer ban or whatever I think Lampard will be their fullback option Frank's obviously been asked dozens of times about it by national media outlets who are determined to just peddle this story until they get what they want. Um, but he's stuck to his guns, handled it really well. He said, I'm not interested in the speculation. I've got a two-year contract and I love working at this place. I've not had any conversations with another club. This has been my club. It is my club. I'm the manager with a two-year contract. Tom, do you think Frank will be a manager on the opening day next season? Yes. Good. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's an emotional 
a link, an attachment. I totally get it. I think Chelsea would make a mistake in appointing Frank Lampard. We've just talked about how he made a huge mistake in the biggest game of Derby season this year, or, or a number of mistakes in there, um, and that didn't work out. So yeah, he's learning, and I think he should continue to learn at Derby. And even if I wasn't a Derby fan, I think from an outsider, I'd still say the same. The danger is, or the way that it appears, is that the, the people who want this to happen the most is the media, isn't it? Like, the only people it will benefit are, are the media. I mean, Sarri might be going, but there's a perfectly good candidate there in Allegri. I don't think it would benefit Lampard to go there now. It wouldn't benefit us for him to go there now. And I don't think it would benefit Chelsea that much for him to go there now. So it's literally all speculation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But it's speculation for a reason. I agree with your frustration about national media. Because for me, what annoys about it is they're just asking questions rather than basing it on anything. It's not like Rob Dorsett or other journos have said, look, I've been told by such and such or my sources at Chelsea say that they want you, Frank. Will you say yes? They just go, a job might be available. Uh, What do you think? Like, it's pathetic journalism, in my opinion. If you're going to ask a question, base it on something. My worry is that I think Frank knows it would be a mistake uh, to go to Chelsea now. Um, Well, I, I hope he knows that. I believe Chelsea also know it's not the right time for them to bring back Frank Lampard. However, and it is a big however, if they do not get their first choice or first choices, they probably will turn to Frank Lampard because it's an easy fix for them. It will give them a nice bit of publicity and a nice bit of goodwill for the media and, and fan bases. And Lampard, in my opinion, will not turn it down. If he's offered the job, if he's given an SOS call from his club, and we all completely respect his connection to Chelsea and why wouldn't we? But if you get an SOS call from your club that you spent, you know, 15 years at won everything at it's been a massive part of your life and they say look Frank we need you we've got a transfer ban coming up we need someone to do this this bring the young players through bring the club back together he's going to say yes and we wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him for that so I think while he and Chelsea might know it's not the right thing to do I can see a situation where it happens what I want to see Derby County do though is to preempt that and Mel Morris needs to do everything he can to get a commitment from Frank now before this Chelsea situation snowballs if they don't get Allegri preempt it let's get a new contract done and get it sorted the biggest disappointment for me would be seeing the folding of Frank Lampard's Derby County after only one year it's a real shame I don't think I can support another team we'll just be going back to being boring old Derby County I can't do it no one wants that we'd have to rename our Wi-Fi in a round check (laughs) (laughs) that would be devastating Um, just a couple of things first of all Alan Shearer at Newcastle disaster Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had a bad start at Cardiff got sacked went away did some work on his managerial came in looked good United don't look so good in the last sort of three or four months. So I think the emotional appointment isn't isn't the right one for Chelsea to go down, but sports Stuart, an emotional game. So. Stuart Pearce, disaster. I think it's time to wrap it up there. Yeah. Uh, before we do, though, one for the road, a quick fire quiz for you both. Oh, yes. A final quiz of the season. We've just gone like freestyle, really, haven't we? We just do whatever we want, quiz-wise. Oh, yes. um, too much admin to keep counting the score. This is the 1890 season in numbers for you both. Okay, do we need a pen? No. Five questions, five numbers, one guess each. Whoever gets closest gets the point. Quick fire answers. Question number one. What was Derby County's average home attendance from 23 league games last season? 28,300. 26,500. 1-0 Kutch. It was 26,850. Question two. How many goals did Derby County score in the league in 46 league games, not including the playoffs? 64. 70. 2-0 2-0 Kutch oh. it was 69 oh, excellent Kutch it's unprecedented it's alright um, here we go. it's <laughs> happening again <laughs> how many players 
has Frank Lampard used in League and Cup games this season in total for Derby? You can go first this time, Coach. <laughs> Damn, we've worked out <laughs> 26. I was going to go 25, so I'm going to stick with that. 25? Yeah. Coach has gone and won it. Oh, outrageous. 29 players Blimey. used by Frank Lampard this season. Come on, let him have a few. Keep giggles. going. Keep going. Give you, a, give you a pity question. It's all right. It's about time I got a battering from Coach. So. <laughs> what was the average age of Frank Lampard's first team squad this season? Is that years and months? Yeah. Uh, 25 years and nine months. 24, 11 months. Tom's pulled one back. Yeah. It was 26 years and one month. Ooh, consolation. And finally, what was the attendance in the player final? 86,324. 86,325. <laughs> <laughs> so petty. Um, Tom wins that one. It was 85,826. So you made it respectable, pulled it back to 3-2. That's all we've got time for, for this podcast and for this season. It's been a roller coaster, hasn't it? One of the most memorable Ram seasons in years, definitely. And uh, I think it's time for us to thank... Everyone who's uh, shared the podcast this season to uh, all the fans who've contacted us, who've spoken to us on the phone, opposition fans, journalists and players we've spoken to this year, and uh, to you lot for listening, of course. Thanks so much for uh, sticking with us. Any plans for close season for you, Coach? A couple of little holidays, bit of a <clears throat> bit of time in Cornwall with the family and uh, a trip to the United States to a, a few uh, cities, New York, Vermont and um, San Diego. Lovely stuff. Tom, what about you? Installing a new kitchen, I hear. As yeah, we speak. As, yeah, literally as we speak. It's meant to be delivered today. Uh, Cricket World Cup obviously has started oh, yes. uh, and the Ashes over the summer. Women's World Cup uh, starts on Friday, I think, or Saturday uh, this week. So looking forward to that. Uh, and then a lot of weddings in the summer. And a top secret classified podcast project, oh, hopefully yeah. over the summer. More details to follow. I won't say any more in case... It all in case we balls it all up. <laughs> I'm giddy with excitement, Chris. But there we go. I've been Chris. He's been Richard. Thank you. He's been Tom. All the best. It's been emotional. Have a great summer. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>